September 2013. Relief is first. After 21 years, the man has at last been identified. Tabs fill my browser. News articles describing his arrest in New York by a fugitive task force at the request of Pennsylvania police. Google's image search has called up many different faces. But I know his immediately. His chubby cheeks make me flinch. I find his Facebook page, but don't dare friend him to see what he's posted, even though I'm desperate for information. Jealousy is second. The other victim is going to get it all. A solemn courtroom, a sympathetic jury, an avenging judge. For more than 20 years, that's what I've wanted. To get to say what happened, to be who he's punished for. Now she gets the detectives who need her to prove their case. She gets the attorneys who need her to perform on the stand. She matters. I'm still the beggar I've been for two decades, calling the police every couple of years to ask them to look again. Always talking to new detectives because none of them stay. Always having to explain who I am, explain the case, because no one remembers except for me, and her, and him. This is good news. This is terrible news. This is everything I've wanted, but for someone else. He's been arrested for what he did to her. I want him charged for what he did to me. I practice, just in case. I pace. I talk to myself. If I get to court... If I get my chance, I want to tell everything in an orderly way. I want to get it right. In 1992, I was a junior at Carnegie Mellon University's Elite Drama Conservatory in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It was an intense program, the goal of which was to turn out actors who could transform. Being safe was looked down on. Freshmen and sophomores were forbidden from playing characters with which they were comfortable. No elegant, witty restoration ladies or innocent ingenues for me anymore. In acting class, in voice and speech class, in movement class, I was challenged to play against type. Be physical, be sexual, be angry. I accepted the challenge, but clung to church-going and Bible study in my personal life as a counterweight. I was proud to have made it into the program. I was proud at the end of each of the first four semesters to make it through the cut. More than 30 young actors had been admitted to the program in the fall of 1989. Four years later, after aggressive cuts and a handful of students ditching the program to go straight to New York, only 13 of our original class would graduate. In our third year, we were past the cut. We were also supposed to have been sufficiently stretched by the experiences of our first two years to be given back our comfortable roles that we would now play better, deeper, and with real choice. Underclassmen looked up to us. I lived in a little studio apartment off campus in Shadyside, the most posh of Pittsburgh's college neighborhoods full of restaurants and shops. I had worked at the nearby Victoria's Secret briefly over Christmas break as holiday help. 
enjoying the over-the-top femininity of the job. All my life, I've vacillated between enjoying and eschewing dress-up. I was then on a dressy upswing, wearing makeup and girly clothes daily. Classes were going to start up again that week in January. I had two monologues to memorize. I needed to do laundry, but had no change for my building's coin-operated machines. I went out to get some. It was early evening on a Sunday. I saw a man watch me exit the building and was wary. The fancy ice cream shop on the corner was open, and I got quarters for the washer and dryer. People were happy in there, chatting and choosing flavors. Outside, the man was still there, still hanging around. I hesitated. He started walking toward my building, not behind me, but from the side. That seemed to make it okay. It's not as though he were following me. He'd started from farther away than me, which timed him to reach the building just after me. I wanted to make the door click shut behind me, but it had a pneumatic closer and moved slowly. I couldn't pull it any faster. He caught it. Again, I hesitated.